So I was thinking, uh, you know Joan of Arc, St. Joan of Arc? Um, I don't know if you know anything about her life. Just, it's pretty remarkable, her life. St. Joan of Arc was 17. She heard the voice of God call her to get up and to leave her, her town and go to where the, the, the French armies, the, where the French leaders were uh, gathered to fight against the English. And God was calling her to do this, to lead the French army against the English army. And so at 17, she gets up and she goes. Now, it's interesting thing. If you read anything about Joan of Arc these days, almost everybody's like, yeah, she probably had schizophrenia. She's probably crazy. She was probably all these. And yet that, if you ever see that, that just reveals that person's worldview. And the person's worldview is that God doesn't exist, God doesn't act with us, and God doesn't actually um, move in our lives, that, that God doesn't create us for a purpose and then help us accomplish that purpose. But we know that that's, that's not true. We know that actually God creates, he's created every person here for a purpose and that he, that he desires you to accomplish that purpose. And not only that, he gives you what you need to accomplish that purpose. That's what he did with Joan. So he, he calls her and, and he leads her and she then leads these French armies into battle. And it was remarkable because even in the midst of battle, Joan had peace. Now, th this is really important for us because even in the midst of trial, Joan had peace. Because I know a lot of us are finding ourselves very soon in a place of battle, in a place of trial, in a place of, you might call it, testing. Um, and it's hard to have peace there. But Joan, St. Joan, didn't just have peace in times of battle. She even had peace in times when she was even battling some like church representatives. So what happened at one point, she was, she was captured by the English, and uh, the English had both church and state. And so Joan had this like mock trial, basically. It was, this, it was kangaroo court. It was, it was unjust. And there were people who were even representatives of the church who were accusing her, falsely accusing her of all these terrible things. And they even convicted her, and ultimately they ended up killing her at 19 years old. But even in that, even in the midst of that kind of trial, Joan had peace. And one of, one of, it's really cool, too. One of the ways they tried to trap her was uh, they asked her, like, you know, are you in a state of grace? State of grace means you're free of mortal sin, you're in union with, with God. And uh, if she were to say yes, they would accuse her of presumption that how will you know that you're in a state of grace? And if she were to say no, they're like, of course you're not because you're a heretic and the, or something like this. And so they would, you know, have her either way. So Joan's answer, again, she, in the midst of trial, in the midst of battle, she had this peace. And she said, her answer was, if I'm not in a state of grace, may God's grace put me there. And if I am in a state of grace, may God's grace keep me there. I'm like, dude, you're 18. How'd you come up with that? That's awesome. Why? Because she had peace. And I, again, I'm, let's, let's bring it down to us right now. Every single one of us, this whole week, this week of testing, this week of battle, this week of trial, as well as the next couple weeks and the next rest of your life, you and I are called, actually St. Peter even says it, he says, his beloved, be eager to be found at peace. Be eager to be at peace. And so we have this command even from God saying, we could be at peace. So what is peace? So I think a lot of times you might say, well, peace is then going to be, um, peace is when you don't have anything to do. I'm going to have peace next Saturday, right? Like I'm, I'm getting home and I'm just going to have, that's going to be a whole lot of peace. Just like not doing anything. That peace is inactivity. That peace is just going to like, I'm going to kick back and I'm just going to like, just relax and I'll finally be at, this week I can't have peace. Cannot have peace because I have to do stuff. So we have this idea though that peace is, is inactivity, but it's not. So maybe we say, well, peace is when you, peace is when you're just chill about whatever, right? So peace is like when you don't really care. You're just like, I don't know, I'm fine with my tests. I'm fine with my exams. Like, I don't care if I really get a job after graduation. It'll be fine. I've got peace. Like, no, that's not peace. That's indifference. <laughs> so peace is neither inactivity or inaction, nor is it indifference. Peace is something different. Peace, 
allows you to be alive and you have peace. Peace allows you to move and still have peace. I would say like this. I would say this. I would say the peace is when you face a challenge and you're ready. Peace is two things. It's to be ready and it's to be in right relationship. Two things that are required for peace. To be ready and to be in right relationship. Because I don't know if you've ever had this where you have some kind of a big challenge. So I know some of you are runners and some of you have like done the grandma's marathon or grandma's half marathon. And you know what it's like to show up the night before race day or even the morning of race day. And you go to the, the starting line and you know you've put the time in. So you're excited and you're nervous, but you know you're ready. So you're not afraid because you're ready. Like you put the miles in and you're like, okay, yeah, I'm excited. I'm nervous. I'm like, I'm anxious about this, but I'm not afraid because I've done what I needed to do and now I'm ready. Some of you also know the opposite. You know what it's like to sign up for Grandma's Half Marathon or Grandma's Marathon and to actually say, oh, that's next week. <laughs> and you showed up the night before or that morning and you're like, okay, not only am I nervous, not only am I excited, I'm also terrified because I'm not ready. I didn't do what I needed. Sometimes, again, this whole week is going to reveal that to us as well. Because some of you are like, no, I got this. I know. Some of you are like, I got this is in the bag. Finals week doesn't scare me. I'm excited. I can't wait to take my test. I'm, I'm eager. Here's someone like, no, you're not. You're like, no, I'm excited to get it over with. I'm excited to be challenged because why? Because I've done what I needed to do and I'm ready. Others of you have that sense of like, it's dread. It's fear. Why? Because I'm not ready. You know, this is when it comes to anything. When it comes to some of you are graduating, and there's that sense of like, I'm just excited. It's, you can also be sad too, like I'm leaving, but I'm not afraid. Why? Because I spent these last few years doing what I needed to do to be ready to take this next step. There's something about being ready that gives you peace. Even when it comes to huge steps, um, the last step people take in their life. You know, I don't know if you've ever read any stories about people who on their deathbed, like kind of report how they're doing. And those people who are at peace, those people who are on their deathbed, but they're in peace and at a time of peace are the ones who say, no, 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 I'm ready to die. I'm ready to take this next step. And they ask them why. And almost always the response is because I've done what I needed to do. I've done what I needed to do. Therefore, I'm ready. And because of that, I have peace. I've done what was necessary. And here's the thing, God wants you to have this peace, even in the midst of trial, even in the midst of battle, even when you're excited and you're nervous and you're anxious, you don't have to be afraid. Why? Because I've done what I needed to do and I'm ready and I'm at peace. So what are the things that kill peace? What are the things that steal peace? I'm just going to say two. You kind of can figure out what they are. The first one is inaction or inactivity. One of the things that kills, just it makes us so anxious is when we don't take action makes us so anxious when it's like, I've, maybe this happened to you all day today. Maybe it's tonight. Maybe it's the, during this mass, you're thinking about all the things you have to do. You, you know, that's all you do. I just think about all the things I have to do and I don't do anything about it. And all that does is it creates even more and more anxiety. So inaction creates anxiety. But the great news is the remedy is really, really simple. Do something. Like, honestly, that, that is all it is. That's all it takes. The remedy for that thing that just steals your peace is just, well, start. Just go ahead and do it. And you're like, well, yeah, it's too late now. Well, maybe it's too late to get 100, but it's not too late to do something. And one of the things you're going to find out is that action is an antidote to anxiety. That simply taking a step just starts to kill anxiety and it starts to create peace again. And that's, now, that doesn't guarantee you're going to win. doesn't guarantee you're going to... Get an A. It's not like, but Father's certified. Like, 
That doesn't guarantee a win. It doesn't guarantee you pass. It doesn't guarantee success. But it does guarantee that you're going to be ready and you're going to be taking that step towards peace. Because there's more to it. There's more that's, that's not in our control. And there's so much that's not in our control. And that's why it's such good news that it's not on you. It's not just on us. Because we're not here just to like, give me some life lessons, you know, guy in robe. It's, it's not as much of secular humanists that came together to kind of have self-help. We're Christians. We're people who follow after Jesus. We're people who know that our God is a good dad and he actually is not only loves us, he's with us. So we're not just here to say like, okay, just really try really hard. It's all on you. It's like, actually, okay, try really hard, but God is with you. The second thing that steals our peace is when we start to distrust that. The thing, one of the things that steals our peace is that I just, I, I have a lack of trust that God is actually here with me. Yeah, I'm taking action, but it's not going anywhere. And it just feels like God is not present. It feels like God is not fighting for me. If, you know what we talked about that last week? Yeah, Exodus chapter 14 that the Israelites were in that place on the, on the shores of the Red Sea, and here's the Pharaoh's army all coming down on them, and they had that line, that word from God through Moses that said, all you have to do is be still. The Lord himself is fighting for you. And hopefully last week I was like, yes, that's good. That's what I need. But then maybe all, the, all this week you were like, okay, God, anytime. I'm hanging out. You start fighting for me. I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you're like, well, God, God I want to trust you, but it seems like you're not moving. God, I want to believe that, you're willing, that you want to fight for me, but it seems you're not doing anything. And what starts to happen is we start to have some distrust. We start to lose our trust in a good God who's going to fight for you. And that's maybe even what St. Peter was writing about in the second reading today. He says, Beloved, what's, God does not delay like some people consider delay. Like, when we, when we consider delay, that means you're not doing what you said you'd do. He, St. Peter says, God does not delay in his promise. He's not delaying and keeping his promise. He's not putting off delivering on his promise. He is active, but he says he's being patient. He's active. He's not delaying, even if you don't know what he's doing right now. You know, to kind of illustrate that, there's this awesome story in the Old Testament from the book of Daniel. You know, the, the prophet Daniel. So context for Daniel, you know some of the stories. Daniel was uh, a Jew who was in exile up to Babylon. And when he got to Babylon, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon, and he recognized some great things about Daniel. And so Daniel in the lion's den, that's the Daniel, right? And he, had, he interpreted, you know, dreams and stuff. You know, in Daniel chapter 10, uh, the Babylonians have been defeated by the Persians, and now Daniel's tight with Cyrus. Cyrus is the king of Persia, and they know each other's names, so they're like, you know, they're, they're tight. So at one point, Daniel says in chapter 10, that he's on the shores of the Tigris, and he has this incredible vision. And he, he says this. He says, in those days, I, Daniel, um, had this vision. Revelation was certain. A great war. And he understood it from the vision. This great war is coming. This great, great cataclysm is going to come down upon the place and the people in which he is living. And so he says, in those days, I, Daniel, mourned a full three weeks. I ate no savory food. I took no meat or wine. I did not anoint myself at all until the end of the three weeks. No, Daniel, the first moment he hears that there's a calamity coming to the, to the nation in which he's living, he starts praying and nothing happens. He's fasting one day, two days, three days. Nothing's changing. He's praying four days. He's praying a week. He's praying two weeks. He's praying three full weeks. And there's no, it seems like there's no response from heaven. I don't know if you ever felt like that. Like, God, I really need help. I need you to fight for me right now. And you're praying. You're doing everything you think you need to do. And it's like... But you're quiet. I think you're delaying. I think you're not acting. But then something happens. 
On the 24th day, I was on the bank of the Great River, the Tigris, and I looked up and I saw a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold around his waist. His body was like chrysolite. His face shone like lightning. His eyes were like fiery torches, and his arms and feet looked like burnished bronze. And his voice sounded like the roar of a multitude. So basically, just picture me. Um, <laughs> just kidding. That's either the angel Gabriel or the son of man. This is, here's this vision from heaven coming to Daniel. And Daniel, when he sees this vision, he says, I fell down his eye like I was dead. Like all strength left me. All courage left me. All power left me. I was, I was like a dead person. And I had no ability to even look up. So this man reaches out, touches me with his hand, and says, be strengthened and be given courage. And he says, the moment he touched me, I, was, I received strength. Then I received courage. And I got up, and this man, angel, begins saying this. Daniel, my beloved. From the first, fear not, Daniel. From the first day you made up your mind to acquire understanding and humble yourself before God, your prayer was heard. Daniel's been praying for almost a month. Going, God, like, are you going to answer me? What, does he hear me? Does he care? And the angel says, Daniel, fear not. From the very first moment you, st- you even decided to pray, the first moment you started to pray, God heard your prayer. So what, why didn't he respond? He goes on. Because of it, I started out. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia stood in my way for 21 days until finally Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. So what happens? Here's this great calamity that's coming upon the people of Israel who are living in you know, Persian-occupied Babylon. Immediately, Daniel starts praying, and immediately God responds. But immediately, the prince of Persia is code for, likely, for a fallen angel, like a demon, that is fighting against Gabriel, is fighting against this other angel, who's coming to Daniel's rescue, who's coming to fight for Daniel, is coming to respond to Daniel's prayer. But what immediately elicits is the spiritual battle. Until what happens? Until Michael, the great prince, the archangel Michael, comes in and begins to fight so that Gabriel can go and talk to Daniel and say, listen, Daniel, your prayer has been heard. God is fighting for you right now. Listen, all of us, all of us, if you start walking towards the Lord, you're going to find yourself in the midst of like, not just you trying to try, strive after the Lord, you're going to find yourself in what they call spiritual battle. That's a, real, that's a real thing. Angels are real and demons are real. And angels want you to get close to God and demons do not want you. And so they're actually battling over you. And one of the best things, one of the, one of the um, most powerful things that those demons can do is they can steal your trust. They can get into us and they can start thinking, they can start convincing us that God is not our father, that God is not fighting for us, that you can't trust him. Because why? Because you're, you and I are in the midst of a spiritual battle. And yet, what does Gabriel say? Daniel, fear not. From the first moment, you started to pray. Your prayer was heard. And God was, has been fighting for you every single day since then. And he will not stop fighting for you until the battle has been won. You guys, the two things that seal our joy is inactivity and a lack of trust in God. But you can trust him. The third thing that steals our peace, of course, ultimately is, is sin. Because when it comes to peace, the church has taught this many, many times. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is not the absence of battle. Peace is not the absence of war. Peace is not the absence of anything. Peace is the presence. Peace is the reality of having a right relationship with God. The two elements of peace, being ready. Second element, having a right relationship. Not, not, not just with God, with three different kind of people. I'm gonna, this is the last kind of three steps. We're going to be done. Peace is having right relationship with myself. Another way to say it is having personal integrity. Because we know this, right? When our relationship with ourselves is out of order, 
that I can't have. I can't have peace. And I don't just mean like become, be the you you're meant to, you, that you want to be. Like, no, it actually means more than that. It means being the you God made you to be. But I'm not right now because I have this disordered relationship with, I don't know, with anything. I have a disordered relationship with my phone. <laughs> so I'm not me. I'm not at peace. I have a disordered relationship uh, with um, my work. I just, I put too much emphasis. I have a disordered relationship with, um, with what people think of me. I just, I just, I'm so obsessed with opinions of me. I have a disordered relationship with my, my body, my physical appearance. I have a disordered relationship with exercise. I have a distorted relationship and disordered relationship with anything. It just, what it does is it rips my integrity apart and I disintegrate. Peace is a right relationship with myself. But it's also a right relationship with others. And a lack of peace is why I have a disordered relationship with others. It happens in so many different ways. I mean, I can go through examples, and I will, um, but you guys, you, can already, you already know them. A disordered relationship doesn't have to be awful, but it can be pretty deadly. Like, with my roommates. I have a disordered relationship with my roommates. Why? Because at this point in the, in the semester, we don't really talk to each other. We just kind of grunt. I have a disordered relationship with my roommates. Why? Because now we just kind of are in each other's orbits, but not really in each other's lives anymore. I have a disordered relationship with my roommates because, because you know, I just, I just stopped caring about them. And so just, yeah, that's, that's all it is. Or maybe I have a disordered relationship with people, my friends, because all we do is gossip. And so what we do is we take that relationship and we just like, talk about other people. And that's, our, that's how we bond, is that we just gossip with each other. That's all our conversations become. Someone walks in, I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't have anything to say. But you know what that third roommate we have? Like, how terrible is she, right? And that is a disordered relationship with my friends because all it is is we just talk about each other. Or sometimes people at work or maybe in class and you're not free to have a relationship with them or they're not free to have a relationship with you. But you kind of set this kind of tone with them. So all of your interactions with them are kind of like, weird and flirty and stuff, but like, but they're married maybe, or they're dating, so you're dating someone, but that's kind of your relationship now. And all of a sudden, the way we talk to you, it's not, it's not terrible, it's not the worst thing in the world, but like, mm, this is not a direct relationship. And I know that, and so I don't have peace. Because I know that I'm not treating you in the right way. You know, this happens, of course, with romantic relationships all the time. I mean, how many people are like, well, you know, I, I, know, I know we're not married, but here's the deal, is we're having this kind of like intimate relationship as if we were married. And it's fine because we really, really love each other, but like, it actually robs us of our peace. But no, 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 it's fine. I mean, I know that's what the church says and everything, but like, <laughs> they've, they've never seen love like we have. Like this kind of idea that because it doesn't feel wrong, I mean, it felt wrong at first, but now it doesn't at all anymore. So it must have changed. It must not be wrong anymore because it, it ceases to feel wrong. And yet, and yet what happens is I still don't have peace. When I actually think about God for who he truly is, I'm like, wait a second. I don't think I can approach him because I'm not in the right relationship. Maybe it's a great love. Maybe you really actually love each other really, really well. But when we have this part of this relationship in our life, we're pretending that we're married. You know, even a bigger one of people pretending that they're married is living together before they get actually married. That's basically, I mean, it's, it's one of those things that, you know that, that's one of the worst, statistically speaking, that's one of the worst things you can do for your future marriage, is to live with your intended girlfriend, boyfriend, fiance. It's, statistically speaking, it's one of the worst things you can do for the health of your marriage. And yet so many people do it. It's kind of like, well, it's, you know, we're saving money this way, or we just kind of like, we couldn't find two places. And so, like, you really, you couldn't find another roommate. There's no one 
else around here. And yet, and yet what happens is it provides scandal. Like, you're someone who goes to church on Sundays. Yeah, and you're living with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Yeah, okay, I guess that's what Catholics do. Not only is there scandal, there's also you're setting yourself up for terrible relationship after marriage. Not to mention, like, this is the person that I actually do love. And what am I doing to their soul? If we died like this, the person I claim to love would go to hell. That's a really big deal. And we know it too. Even if we're like, no, 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 I'm fine. That's old fashioned. We know it because I, I don't know your living situation. So you're like, is he talking about me? I don't know. Maybe. But the reality, of course, is I don't have peace. Because I come here and I'm praying and I'm like, God, I know you love me, but I'm out of right relationship right now. So I don't feel at peace. Or maybe go back home and it's like, okay, hey, we just came from prayer, but I don't think we should, we don't have peace because we don't have this right relationship right now. So we have these, you know, broken is no peace because I don't have a right relationship with myself, with other people, or even with God himself. That, that there's things that I know what God has called me to and I know what I've chosen is not what he's called me to. And so I don't have a right relationship with him. You know, all these things are like, wow, last mass of the semester. Thanks, Father. Super encouraging. I bring this up, you guys, because God says, be at peace. Be eager to be found at peace. And you actually can. God has given us the most inc- one of my most like incredible gifts I've ever received in my entire life. It's called the Sacrament of Confession. And you know, when I start talking about sacrament of confession, it's one of those, sometimes people are like, well, that's kind of a really sad thing. No, it is the best thing in the world. Like, I don't like going to confession. I feel bad about myself. Well, okay, disclaimer. If, if I've done something bad, I should feel bad about myself. You know, the world says, don't ever feel bad about yourself. But if you've done something bad, it's okay. You have my permission to feel badly about yourself. Confession is not a place to go beat yourself up, though. See, confession, sometimes we think that confession is a place of like, yeah, I, I walk in, I admit that I'm a loser. Like, no. And the priest is like, you know, you really are. Well, you know, maybe next. No, confession, I will say this always. Confession is a place of victory. Confession is a place where I walk in with all my mess and all my disorder and everything, with all my stuff that I've said, God, me, not you. But in confession, what happens is Jesus wins. What God wants, because he gave us the sacrament of confession, it's like, it's like someone gives you a personal, um, personal uh, medical doctor. They're assigned to you. And they're your, your private medical doctor. Whenever you get sick, just call the medical doctor and they'll come and help you. But you're like, I've got sick, but I don't, I don't want to bother the doctor. Like, no, that's why the doctor exists. Jesus, why did he die on the cross? So that you and I could have forgiveness. Why did he give us confession? So that when I fell, he can say, listen, let me win again. Let me lift you up again. Do you realize how much God is honored, how much God is glorified whenever we go to confession? It is not a place of failure. It's a place of victory. I mean, Jesus even says this. He says, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't have need of repentance. On Tuesday, this, in the same room, in the ballroom, from 7 o'clock to 9 o'clock p.m., we're going to have about four or five priests and the sacrament of confession available. You don't have to stay for two hours. You just have to come in, drop off this sin, pick up the grace, and leave. But imagine, imagine if everyone in this room, this morning's mass was even more packed. Imagine if everyone in this room and this morning's mass, this Tuesday, came to this place and for two hours just like, Let Jesus win. Imagine what that would be like. For two hours, just constantly, person after person after person, just coming into confession and saying, Jesus, you get to win. I'm not going to let what you did on the cross go to waste on me. 
I'm going to actually let you have victory in my life. You know how much God would be glorified that night? You don't have any idea when it comes to spiritual warfare. How any idea when it comes to spiritual glory, like the kind of the, the light, the glory that would go up from this room to heaven. That that night, every single angel who's ever been created, every single saint who's ever lived will be singing your name to praise of the Father. That's what happened every time you go to confession. All the angels in heaven, every saint is crying out your name to the Father's glory. When Joan of Arc was asked, are you going to say to grace? She said, if I'm not, may God's grace put me there. That means she would go to confession. You don't have to be afraid. You can have peace. This is the last thing, for real. Joan, when she, uh, when she left her town, she had to go to this place where she would actually put her life in danger, where she would present herself to the Dauphin and try to convince him that God had actually sent her. People asked her, Joan, are you, are you, are you scared? Are you afraid? Her response was, I am not afraid because God is with me. I was born for this. I'm not afraid because God is with me. I was born for this. Heading into battle, she was able to say, I'm not afraid. God is with me. I was born for this. And this is the truth that you get to say, whether that's Tuesday night coming to confession. Are you nervous about confession? I'm not afraid. God is with me. I was born for this. When it comes into whatever battles you face this week, whether you're ready for them or not ready for them, are you afraid? I'm not afraid. Why? Because God is with me. I was born for this. If you, if you get sent out, launched out from here, UMD or CSS, into the world, like, are you afraid you're going to find a job? Are you afraid you find a spouse? Are you afraid you're not going to find your vocation? I'm not afraid. Why? Because God is with me, and I was born for this. Every single one of you. You might, you might be nervous. You might be excited. You might actually even feel afraid. But when it comes to this next step, when it comes to having peace because you're ready and you're in right relationship, when it comes to whatever battle, whatever battle you find yourself in, you do not need to be afraid because God is with you and you were born for this.